Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. From autosport.com and autosport magazine, I'm Martin Lee and this is the Autosport Podcast. Well, it's pretty late in Canada to record this. It's very late where I am in the UK. Uh, but I'm joined on the podcast today by our man in Montreal, Jake Boxall Lake, to look back at the Formula One Canadian Grand Prix qualifying for 2023. But as it's so late, I think I'll just recycle the script from 2022. In a rain-affected qualifying session, Max Verstappen got pole and Fernando Alonso will start second. But hold on, you say. I watched that on my telly box. And I know that Nico Hülkenberg is second. No, 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 not so fast, my friends. Uh, We'll get into that and everything to do with penalties, of which there were many, uh, on today's podcast. Uh, JBL, thanks for joining us. Uh, Your first time in Montreal, first time in Canada, actually covering Formula One for us. Uh, What's it like, uh, your first time there? Uh, It's been fantastic so far. Um, Very, very wet today, actually going out this morning to go and get my uh, breakfast at Tim Hortons, which I believe is a very Canadian institution. Um... So that's been, you know, that was sort of quite a bit of a highlight of the day because we knew that we were going to get a very kind of mixed up grid and all of that sort of thing. So that's been quite cool. Just waiting to have a little bit of downtime to explore Montreal because, uh, you know, it's long days at the track. We don't get to see too much of the city and and hopefully I'll finally be able to have a little bit of poutine. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Well, yes, a long day today waiting for the stewards to make their decisions. All of which, by the way, I think were the right calls, but we'll get into that in a minute if you can afford me a mini rant. Uh, Let's start with Max Verstappen and that pole lap. Uh, Just talk us through qualifying because qualifying today, Q1 to Q3, it was wet, dry. We had dry lines emerging. In Q2, it was all about being on uh, the the right tire at the right time and the dry tire as Alex Albon found out and uh, but Max Verstappen seemed to quietly go about his business Red Bull such a good race team no drama had him on the right tires at the right time put in an amazing lap of a one twenty five eight five eight doesn't sound amazing because it's a slow lap time for this circuit but if you've been watching the dry the dry running um, but I went back and watched the onboard of that lap and yeah the car is squirrely and he's on the edge but it never looks like at it's out of control gets a, a, a you know a bag full of uh of wheel spin in places but max is just brilliant this year and put it on pole once again last year was the first time that he got pole in canada and once again this year that was uh what did you make of max's performance today well it kind of had its sort of genesis in fp3 really because fp1 and fp2 well fp1 was it was it was really a non-starter but fp2 <laughs> Verstappen seemed to really struggle with particular to to qualifying pace um, really didn't get on top of the car particularly in the traction zones as well it was very very quick in the corners but when it came to dealing with bumps and came to dealing with traction zones it just wasn't really there so they changed a few bits overnight FP3 was much more like it and that was in wet conditions but he just seemed to be able to start a lap bring it to completion and then the next time around he'd do a better one he'd do a better one he'd do a better one and so and and that's what you saw in qualifying in um particularly in q2 when it was so changeable um he had to quickly 
you know, switched for Inters to, to softs and made that work. Didn't take the gamble like Albon did because Albon could afford to do that and it paid off. And then in Q3, the first lap was solid, but then he went even quicker in conditions that were worsening, which was, you know, even better. He, he took over, well over a second out of his time. So such a strong performance. And you could see him every time, like through the hairpin where there was clear puddles and patches of uh, on the circuit it wasn't like he was fighting the car he just did one single steering wheel motion and he was just able to unwind the lock and yeah maybe it did get a little bit squirrely as you mentioned on traction but he seems to have this symbiotic relationship with the car where he can just react to everything it does and he knows exactly what it's going to do quite majestic really yeah, really impressive from Max before Max Verstappen today and his performance and the Red Bull team as well, who who kind of fluffed their lines. I think Perez took a fair amount of heat for being not as decisive as Max. I look back at the team radio conversation between Perez and his engineer on the pit wall, and it wasn't they were talking about what in that that Q two when he should have been on the dry tire and uh, and saying, well, you know, we could and. and uh, they didn't make the, the the choice that Max made, and, and Sergio Perez dumped out of qualifying. Just not good enough for uh, Red Bull and Sergio Perez. I've been really hard on him in, in recent races, recent events as well. I think justifiably because he needs to be. That car is just so dominant this year, um, as we saw last time out when Max just kind of got bored halfway through or no towards the end and was like, oh, well, I'll just see what I can do in Barcelona and then just did a lap that was like a second and a half quicker than everybody else and was like, oh, I'll, go, I'll go back to managing the tyres now. Like That car, when we see its pace, is so amazing, the RB19, and yet Perez, well, he'll start 12th in the provisional grid now. Oh, man, it's just not good enough. What did, did, you, did you talk to Sergio afterwards? What did he have to say? He was a little bit just irritated that it didn't go his way at all obviously the pace was in the car but he's been he's not been near Verstappen all weekend it's probably fair to say all of that kind of pace that he had in Baku and the start of the Miami weekend it just seems to have dissipated in the last few rounds but I think the story of Q2 was not necessarily what tyres you were on it was just simply making a decision at the start of what you were going to do or making a decision in the first two minutes. Albon and Williams made the decision to put him on softs from the start and after the first couple of laps, it really came to him and he was able to book his place in Q3. Verstappen decided to make the move very, very quickly to the soft and so that worked for him. But equally, you had Aston Martin and Mercedes and they just made that decision to stick with the intermediate and it worked out for them and they still got through into into Q3. And you saw this with Perez and you saw this with Leclerc that the decision was made very, very late and then they decided to do something else entirely and neither worked. So it wasn't a case of choosing to necessarily be on the right tyres at the right time, but I think it was just feeling empowered to make that decision and sticking with it rather than flip-flop and have the worst of both worlds, which is what Perez had and which is what Leclerc had in that moment. So it was just... Yeah this indecision was just what what killed his day, really. I understand it. It is difficult because last year in Q3, in the wet conditions, uh, Mercedes rolled the dice and put George Russell on the softs and he spun out a turn one or turn two, didn't he, last year and couldn't get heat in those tyres. And it's you know, it's not an obvious decision. And as, as Perez fans can rightly say to me, oh my goodness, how many points did he lose today? You're right, none. He's got all the job to do on Sunday afternoon. Still not, still not good enough uh, for a car that good. 
Let's talk about how the grid lines up. Verstappen will be alongside Fernando Alonso, as I mentioned at the start, same as last year. And then it's a second row lockout for Lewis Hamilton and George Russell in the two Mercedes. Uh, then Nico Hulkenberg in fifth. You might think he should be second, um, but we'll get on to that. And then Esteban Ocon, who I think is continuing to have just a, a brilliant Formula One season. A great Formula One career, by the way, but Ocon flies under the radar far too often. Um, and then Lando Norris in the first of the McLarens. Oscar Piastri caused that red flag, uh, but put a time good enough in along with uh, uh, some penalties. Did he benefit Piastri? I'm trying to work out the order. Uh, Piastri lines up eighth anyway, then Alexander Albon ninth and Charles Leclerc uh, is up into 10th. So uh, let's talk. The first one is the last one, if that makes sense. The last of the penalties, I'm trying to think, uh, Science, we'll get into this. Science was penalised for blocking. Stroll was penalised. Sonoda was penalised. But the last one that you were waiting at the track for was Hulkenberg, which wasn't for blocking. Can you get into this? Can you explain what Hulkenberg did? And I think also what the the team, and maybe this is a Haas thing where they're just not a Formula One winning team. They got something wrong that has really infuriated Formula One fans in the last no, half an hour, according to my Twitter feed, at least. Um, okay, so not very uh, shortly after qualifying, it had been ratified and we'd spoken to all of the drivers in the presser. Um, Hulkenberg was summoned to the stewards for going faster than what they say is the minimum delta time. So there's basically the quickest time that you can set. And you've got to be over that time. You've got to be slower than that minimum time. And, and, and he wasn't. He was too quick. And so... All of the drivers have a delta time on their steering wheel that they have to stick to. Um, that's basically the the long and short of the regulation. And so if you listen back to Hulkenberg's radio, um, just as the red flag has been called out, um, him and his engineer Gary Gannon are talking about the delta time. Uh, Gannon tells him that he needs to be plus, so he needs to be over what the what the delta time says on the steering wheel in the meantime Hulkenberg was hearing a series of beeps in his ear uh, and he said something along the lines of you know these beeps are going crazy I think we're probably going too slow and there seemed to be this confusion between them it is partially of Hulkenberg's own making because um, he in the moment probably forgot the rule at that point he came across Piastri slowed down because it was red flag plus double waved yellow rule still exists at that point in time so he slowed down and there was an Alpine in front of him and he was keeping pace with it. And eventually, after Hulkenberg and Gannon had sort of spoken about it, realised, OK, actually, we are going too fast and we do need to slow down. But at that point, the damage is already done. What didn't help Hulkenberg in that moment was the fact that he just crossed the line. He just finished his lap and then he was going up to turn one and turn two with the intent of doing another push lap. So just as the red flag came out, he was still kind of on that push lap and he had to react and slow down. But at that point, he was already, one. what the steward document says was 1.5 seconds over the delta time. Either you slow down massively before you come to the end of, I think, the, the micro sectors that it affects or something like that. It's, it's really kind of granular. It's really, really hard to kind of react in that moment in time, particularly when it's wet and you've got all the the longer braking distances and things like that. So it's just, I think it was super unfortunate. The FIA did note this and they said, look, this is usually a 10 place grip penalty, but we're going to show leniency here because these are the circumstances that they're laid out. We don't think the driver did anything malicious. Hulkenberg tried to slow down. The rule's the rule. Daniel Ricciardo got something similar back in 2018 in Australia 
and it was really, really minimal again, and it was properly borderline. And Christian Horner and Daniel Ricciardo did hit out at the penalty afterwards, as they want to do. But that was a three-place group penalty as well. So there's a precedent, and it's super unfortunate because Hulkenberg, you know, he got the lap in at the right time. Sure, he lucked out with the red flag, but you've got to be on track at the right time and be on hand to take advantage of any of any misfortune that happens to anybody else. So that was a situation. And again, yeah, it's unfortunate, but um, unfortunately the rules are the rule. And um, he starts from fifth, which is still laudable given the circumstances, given that he was almost knocked out in Q1, given that he was uh, in the drop zone in Q2, did a lap that was good enough for eighth and that pushed Charles Leclerc in. Given he had two near misses, I think uh, three would be a little bit optimistic. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Has there been any reaction from the Haas team that you've seen so far? We're still recording this pretty quickly after the decision. Not as far as we know at the moment. Um, One would imagine that people had already left the track by the time the decision (laughs) came in because it was very, very late. Um, So we've not had a chance to hear from them yet, but I I suspect that we'll be able to get a line on that tomorrow morning. I'm sure Gunsteiner will be floating about the paddock. (laughs) Um, So I'm sure he'll have something to say about it, certainly. Anything's been said about the time that it took to make the decision? this decision I think in the press room certainly uh, we were all waiting <laughs> um, and then we were going oh Stuart's document has come in uh, what is it oh it's uh, Yuki Sonoda's been given a three second pe- uh, three place group penalty for impeding uh, that's not the one we wanted oh here's another one oh it's uh, Charles Leclerc uh, it's uh, it was it, it, it's all part of the FIA system and I think the is is weird because there is usually a little bit of a delay on these decisions and we're sort of waiting around to get them and um, you're never really sure what's happening. So I'm not 100% abreast of what, how that process works. So I don't want to cast too much mm. doubt on it. But um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's irritating that it took so late. Like the timetable's already been quite late as it is um our uh, motorsport.com f1 editor john noble who's done this race many many times in his career said you know qualifying was usually at one o'clock and they're usually done by about six o'clock and so to have qualifying at at four in canadian time it's not particularly good for the euro audience and it's uh, it's also not great mm. for us as well it's good for, great for the fans here but um you know just wanted to have a slightly mm. earlier night. <laughs> a slightly earlier night. Sure me, did, too, yeah. me too. Me <laughs> too. <laughs> me too. Uh, a sellout crowd once again at this circuit. Huge interest in Formula One. Um, this comes back to uh, just a long-standing bugbear of mine, which is yeah, there's a sellout crowd in Montreal, but also it's the people watching at home, and when what they see on TV should be as best as we can as a sport reflected in when they turn that telly off or whatever their their app or their device that is not then waking up on Sunday morning listening to the Autosport podcast and be like oh hang on a minute why has Hulkenberg been you know demoted if you will afford me a a mini rant uh, for a moment absolutely the right decision I've seen so much uh, reaction online from fans since in the last half an hour furious now I know it's a it's a it's a romance story Nico Hulkenberg and a half second on the grid starting alongside Max Verstappen but 
he wasn't going to finish the Grand Prix second. Yes, it's frustrating. I get that because he, you know, if he can beat an Alpine or a McLaren tomorrow, that is, uh, in terms of the points, Hall, if they could have a, a very strong race starting from second, he was only ever going to hold up the people behind him. He was never going to finish second. On merit, on timing, he should be second. But also, these kind of Formula One rules, if you see a, a thing on screen and it says the race control are looking at a pit lane speed limiter incident, it's a slam dunk. And if it's a race controller looking at an incorrect grid box starting position, it's a slam dunk. Like, you know what's happened. We're just waiting for the penalty. And this should be one of those ones with the data that's available in this sport, one of the most high-tech sports in the world. The data and the speed at which data is available and this supposed new VAR-type facility that, that the FIA now has that they should be investing more in these decisions should be so quick it sucks for Haas it sucks for Hulkenberg but you can't go quick under a red flag you have to get these things right I was at a a Clio meet at Brands a little while ago and as Clio's are want to do one of them ended up on its roof and uh, and as the marshals I think the driver was saying put me back I'll go I'll go like just tip me back over and I think they did and he carried on in that moment someone didn't slow down and so immediate removal and so if you're club racing if your kids are kart racing or whatever if there's marshals on track it's just one of those motorsport things. People are putting on those orange overalls to do a job and volunteer. And it just should be one of those things where it sucks for Hulkenberg, but it shouldn't take five or six hours for the FIA to, to decide this. It should just be on a tight. It should be automatic. Ah, <sighs> rant over, JBL. This is, my th- this is my therapy at three o'clock in the morning, JBL. Thank you so much. Thank you, my I'm, therapist. I'm only Thank here you. to serve. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's quickly work through some of the other things that you had to wait around for. Science P8 down to P11 for blocking. Stroll P13 down to P16. Sonoda P16 down to P19. Um, it was tough out there today, but there was more than the average amount of, of penalties that you were waiting around for um, in terms of, uh, of blocking and just difficulties in, in the wet weather and visibility. What was the worst one, in your opinion? What one do you think was was sort of I think the science one was was pretty scary yeah there was there was a moment as well where that that was quite bad and there was a number of times where science was dawdling at that part of the track and he looked like a moving chicane all afternoon really it was (laughs) it yeah and quite rightly Pierre Gasly was absolutely furious about it and 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 he, he was absolutely right to be because the closing speed of that corner is ridiculous. Like you're you're going flat chat. You've probably got DRS open, and to have a Ferrari that's going at about fifty miles an hour in the middle of that chicane, that's not good at all. And there was a moment as well when uh, in Q two when Alex Albon was uh, coming around to finish a lap, and Sainz was there again, and he nearly squeezed him onto the grass. It was sort of a la uh, Will Stevens and Roman Grosjean back in twenty fifteen. Um, that kind of closing speed, and Albon could just sort of get round him, make the chicane, and then set a faster lap. That was phenomenal car control, mm. but Science shouldn't have been there, and I think both of them were quite egregious. And I was kind of surprised that he didn't get anything for that one as well uh, maybe because it didn't sort of like come to blows and because Albon was quite mild-mannered about it mm. um, there was a, yeah, as you mentioned there's also a sort of incident involved Yuki Tsunoda and, um, and, and Nico Hulkenberg in Q1 uh, that wasn't particularly great but that was at a slow speed part of the track so it was just sort of like blocking and not you know three four centimetres mm. away from being a plane crash so 
yeah, I think those are the sort of like most egregious instance of the, of that session. The visibility is bad for sure, and and track conditions are bad. Um, and it's up to the teams and the drivers to communicate well together. And I think that's a common criticism of Ferrari is that communication, particularly you know between drivers and with traffic and that sort of thing, it's not where it should be. And it's not like you're getting minute by minute updates of who's behind you. You, you know, sometimes the drivers are just there to kind of find out you know, when the next driver is a meter behind them and it's not great. You need to be on, as a race engineer, you certainly need to be on top of all that. So um, it's it's not great to see for sure. Yeah, this is not F2 or F3. The level of communication from pit wall to driver in Formula 1 is is an order of magnitude different to even racing in F2. It should be, con- in this weather, constant communication, and you can't let things like that happen where Gasly, was, who is you know starts 15th because of penalties um, with Lance Stroll uh, being demoted, is was rightly furious. He was dumped out because um, he couldn't get a time, and yet his teammate Esteban Ocon is up there in sixth place. And and that Alpine, it, you know, it could have been depending on timing and the weather. That could have easily been a top three car. And so, um, uh, so yeah, furious uh, with that. Um, in terms of any other standout performances today, because I'm aware that we've gone on, um, where do you think, who do you think stood out today in the changeable conditions? Who put in a good performance? Zach Brown from McLaren was praising their team. I thought it was going to be a really difficult weekend for McLaren, but look, they start seventh and eighth, and that's probably a lot better than I was expecting going into uh, into the weekend. Probably not so great for Ferrari coming off the back of Le Mans uh, success. I did ask our colleague John Noble where, you know, does this pile any more pressure on the Formula One team when the Le Mans team can, you know, uh, can go out, AF course, it can go out and just uh, and win Le Mans at the first attempt. He's like, well, no, you can't put any more pressure on the Ferrari Formula One team. They, they have it all on their shoulders. But, um, you know, one of the reasons that Ferrari won Le Mans is because they were a really good race team that even when the car wouldn't leave its pit box, just very calmly, recycled the power uh, there was no kind of uh, headless chicken moments and, and and they were very 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 competent and and won as well as having good pace um, so who do you think stood out today and who had a, bit of, a pretty bad day that you want to highlight well you, you've kind of already mentioned Ocon and um, yeah as you say he's been really under the radar standout contender this season I think he's been mega um, I think you know you put if you he, he's I think he's really coming of age this year and um, he's getting to that point where, because I think his Alpine de- uh, deal ex- uh, expires at the end of 2024. If you're a top team, you've got to be looking at him because, you know, it, it's hard to kind of see Alpine going anywhere above where they are now. It just doesn't seem to happen year on year. Um, and, you know, if you're Mercedes looking at life after Hamilton or if you're Ferrari looking at a replacement, if Leclerc or Sainz move on, he's the guy you've got to go for, surely. Um, so he's been super impressive. You mentioned the McLarens as well. Um, yeah, um, Andrea Stella, the team principal, wasn't particularly, you know, let's say, looking forward to this weekend. And uh, there was an interesting stat that flashed up on TV that McLaren hasn't scored a point at Montreal since 2014, which is... crazy I mean considering that that does kind of coincide with the Honda years but you know 2019 they had a good season and didn't score any points 2022 last year they didn't score any points there so it's been a real rough road for them in Canada less than what nine years without a point at the Canadian Grand Prix is quite the stats for a team of such uh, stature Um, and I'll be honest I was 
in FP, well, throughout practice, I was super impressed by Valtteri Bottas, but he was he he's one of those drivers who couldn't be in the right place at the right time in Q2 when it was a drying track, couldn't put the lap together. And so, you know, he was P15 in that session. So that just goes to show, even if you've got the pace, you still have to make it happen. Um, you know, he was up there throughout the practice sessions and he was looking good in, in Q1, but again, it just didn't come off for him. Uh, and aside from Ferrari and from uh, from Perez having shockers um, Alpha Tauri wasn't probably where they wanted to be um, this should be a track that is is relatively good for their sensibilities and it just didn't work for them uh, Sonoda was again strong in practice he had a few offs in practice but he was strong again and didn't make it through into qualifying De Vries wasn't really sort of in the running at all um, and, and through no fault of his own um, Guan Yu Zhou as well um, just didn't because he had that, that problem at the start of Q1 that um, he had to pull over and he was able to do a full factory kind of uh, reset and get the car going again but you know the red flag was out but I think you know by then everything was a little bit of a mess and he couldn't get himself off the bottom row so um a lot of good days for a lot of people and a lot of bad days for other people. So um, it's been a really mixed bag. And I think, you know, when you have a wet weather qualifying, it really separates out who's an opportunist and who isn't. Let's put it that way. Weather tomorrow. What's the latest on the forecast for the Grand Prix? Um, well, I've been spending pretty much all day looking at... <laughs> I've been spending the entire weekend looking at two uh, different weather options. What's the weather going to be like in Montreal on Sunday? And what's the weather going to be like at Glastonbury next week? Um, okay. <laughs> tomorrow we have... We should have dry weather. Uh, it'll be cloudy. and It'll be a little bit grey, but I believe yeah. it's going to be dry. Um, yeah. and going through the, the, the FP2 race pace Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes and Aston Martin were not far away from each other at all so it could mm. genuinely you know it's probably very easy to say that the Red Bull is just going to walk away with it but if, if that pace is sort of anything to go by there's a possibility that they could have challenges tomorrow if, if put, people put themselves in the right window. Um, as for Glastonbury, a little bit of thunder on the Wednesday, but I'm hoping most Ooh. of it will stay dry. I'm just hoping I can get my tent up uh, when I turn up. <laughs> I'm not a million miles away in Dorset, and we've had a couple of showers today, but nothing to make the ground wet. So you shouldn't need your welly boots, although I'm still about an hour and a half away from Glastonbury. So we've had a bit of rain, a little bit of rain today. We need some more. It's been so hot, so much hotter here than uh, than what is the 18, 19 degrees Celsius uh, starting temperature, they think, for the Grand Prix in Canada. So a little bit chillier where you are, but so we'll wait and see. We look forward to that. Thank you so much. We look forward to reading more of your coverage online at autosport.com. And of course, Jake's coverage will be in Autosport magazine, dropping through your letterbox every Thursday if you are a subscriber. If you're not, you can find out more details about how to do that at autosport.com forward slash plus and it gets access to the plus subscriber area uh, where we put all of our long reads and i think some of the best motorsport journalism in the world but you'd be the judge of that uh, with a free trial if you want to thank you so much for listening today and we'll catch you on the next one sports social podcast network